All right, we've been going through the Old Testament as we're coming, going through the scriptures there verse by verse. So we're up to 2 Samuel chapter 19. We started that chapter last time and we saw that at the beginning of the chapter, David was showing immense sorrow over the death of his son Absalom. And his sorrow just kept going on and on. And by doing that, David was making his army feel like they were defeated instead of victorious. So uh, Joab, his commander, if you remember, he came and he rebuked David. And uh, David listened to him, so that was a good thing. Then David went to honor his troops at the gate. He stood there and, and gave honor to them, which was a good thing. He, he should have done that. So we, we thank the Lord to see that he came around. He was in a bad situation, and uh, he did respond in the right way. And uh, we thank the Lord just to see that good testimony that he, he brought at the end there. So we're going to pick up the story in uh, verse 9. And it says here, Now all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel. Now this is referring to the people who followed Absalom. If you remember when Absalom came to uh, rebel against David and try to take him off the throne, uh, David was fleeing, trying to protect his family and his servants and all the people with him. But there was a number of folks in Israel that uh, kind of jumped sides and they started to, to say Absalom is gonna be our king and they were, they were leaning that way very heavily. So now they're in a strange situation now David is returning to be the king. He's going to come back into the city of Jerusalem and uh, be restored to his throne. So these people who have jumped sides are now uh, having to wonder what's going to take place. So that's who it's talking about here when it starts out saying all the people were in a dispute throughout all the tribes of Israel. And here's some of the things they were saying in verse 9. The king saved us from the hand of our enemies. He delivered us from the hand of the Philistines. They're talking about King David. So they know in the past... He's done amazing things to help us, you know. And then it says, uh, and, how, and now he has fled from the land because of Absalom. So they're looking at that as a, as a downside of David, that he didn't stay and fight. We talked about that before. The reason he didn't stay and fight is because he didn't want to kill a lot of people that were Israelites. He was trying to avoid that. So he wanted to protect his family. So the only other option is you have to flee and take your family with you. So the folks aren't aware of that. They don't understand why he did that. So they just kind of see, I guess, that he kind of was chicken and took off. And that wasn't his heart at all. Uh, verse 10, then it says, but Absalom, the people are still talking about this, whom we anointed over us. So see, they're acknowledging, we accept that he isn't king. He was supposed to be our king. That's who we were going to follow. He's died in battle. So he's gone. <laughs> it says, now, therefore... Why do you say nothing about bringing back the king? So now you can see there's this, uh, un, this wavering that's going on in the people. Some are saying there should be nothing holding us back. We need a king. David's the guy. He's done it before. We know he's, he's turned and left for a while. But our king that we chose, Absalom, he's out of the picture. So what are we left with? So that's the dilemma that's going on. And what we see from this is not everyone was thrilled to see David restored to power. Uh, some would argue that David lost his right to rule, you know, when he fled Jerusalem, when Absalom was rebelling against him, and that's what some of these folks were saying. And some of those were probably afraid, too, you know, that David was going to seek revenge against them for switching their allegiance to Absalom now that he's back in power. And in that day and age, you didn't really know what a king was going to do unless you really knew the king's heart, you know, what he was like. 
David's got a pretty proven record that he follows the Lord, so the people really shouldn't have had to worry about that too much. But normally, yeah, you've got a king who's, you know, power crazy. He comes in, he might say, every one of you that lined up with the other guy, come here, and we're going to take you out. That's very possible. So there's real turmoil here, and it wasn't David's fault. You know, he's following the Lord. He's trying to protect his people. The fault here was with the Israelites who were so unfaithful to David. You know, their decision to side, decide there with Absalom was going against God's will because the Lord was not on the side of Absalom. The Lord was with David. So the people made a huge mistake by jumping sides there. And what we learned from this is that whenever we choose to go against God's will, when the Lord has made something very plain and we go against that, then we should expect turmoil and conflict in our life. So that's the picture we see here. Go on to verse 11. So King David sent to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests. So he's going to get the priests together here. And he says, speak to the elders of Judah, saying, why are you the last to bring the king back to his house? So he's going to have them speak to his own tribe, the tribe of Judah. And they haven't really stepped up and said, hey, we'll support David. We'll bring him back to be the king. So he wants the priests to go in and to speak to these guys. And it says here, since the words of all Israel have come to the king, to his very house, you are my brethren. This is the message that priests are supposed to carry to Judah. You are my brethren. You are my bone and my flesh. Why then are you the last to bring back the king? Now, there, there's a reason for that. It's probably because they were the most unfaithful to David when Absalom came in. They betrayed him more than the rest of the tribes. You would think they'd be the ones who stood up for him, but no, they jumped ship pretty quick when Absalom came in. So they probably would be afraid of being executed as tra traitors here. So David, he sent the priests to encourage them and to get them to do the right thing. So very interesting the way David is going to deal with this issue. Kind of keep an eye on David as we go through this because the Lord's showing this, I believe, so we can see David's heart because he's, he's really got the heart of God on a lot of these things here. So notice this. If you had a king from that time period, a real tyrant, a real, like I said, a power-crazy guy, is he going to take the time to say, I want you priests to go talk to this tribe? Probably not. He's going to go stomping in there and making all kinds of noise and puffing his chest up and saying, what's your problem, you know? But, but David's trying to do the best he can to encourage these people and to build them up. He's not into, you know, beating them down and, and verbally abusing them. That's not his goal at all. So go on to verse 13. And say to Amasa, this is, uh, we'll talk about him in a second. It says, are you not my bone and my flesh? So I want him to speak to this one particular guy. He said, God do so to me and more also if you are not commander of the army before me continually in place of Joab. So Amasa here was David's nephew and uh, David's offering to appoint Amasa as his new commander in charge of his army. Uh, you know, if they restore David as king, he's saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do. So Amasa didn't have half the experience that Joab did. <clears throat> Excuse me. But apparently by this time, David has found out that it was Joab who had killed his son Absalom. Uh, so this change of commanders is going to serve a couple of purposes for David. For one, he's going to be letting the men of Judah know that he's not going to destroy them. So this would be a sign of reconciliation for them. 
You know, they would know if he's putting one of our guys in charge of the army, then he must not be coming after us. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So he's trying to put them at ease. You know, he's not wanting revenge here. That's not his goal. Uh, He didn't want to see any more bloodshed among God's own people. He wanted to see the whole nation come together in unity. So this wasn't a time for revenge. It was a time for healing and for national peace. Well, we're kind of longing for that kind of thing in our own nation right now, huh? You know, but the only time that truly happens is when a nation submits to the Lord God. Uh, The second thing he's going to accomplish by doing this uh, is going to be that David be punishing Joab for what he did. It was was far more that Joab just killed David's son. There's more to it than that. If you remember the story, Joab had disobeyed a direct order from David. You know, an order that David made public for all of the soldiers to hear. He said, be careful with, my, with Absalom, make sure he's safe. And Joab disregarded that completely. So if David allowed Joab to get away with this without any reprimand from David, it could possibly open the door for other men to think that they could rebel against David's orders too. So that's just going to create a huge treasonous mess. So you end up with sheer chaos if you allow people to break laws and you don't deal with it properly. So David knows he's got to deal with this. So think about this now. From David's perspective, he was extremely loyal to King Saul, right? And Saul did some pretty wicked stuff to David. Yet David remained loyal to him. He never went against him. But unlike Saul here, David's a good king and Joab is not being loyal to David. He outright disobeyed David's order to bring Absalom back alive. So the Lord shows us David's character here. It really bothers him when people are not loyal. And it's actually a good thing when the sinful disobedience of other people bothers us and it aggravates us because it means that these things are going against our own character, the character that the Lord is building in us too. And if these things bother us in our character, imagine how they affect the Lord in his perfect and holy character. Wow. Now, it's sad here, but, but some people accuse David of being a politician. If you read some of the commentaries on this section, they said when he made Amasa his new military leader, it was just a political stunt he was pulling to, to gain some people on his side. But David, he doesn't have any desire to be a politician. He just wants peace among God's people. David knew God's call in his life. He was supposed to be the king of Israel. He knew that's what God called him to do. And part of being king involved keeping peace in the land and keeping the nation unified. So the decisions he made were for the betterment of God's people. And that's a sign of a great and godly leader, to make your decisions based on what is best for God's people. So I don't go along with any of those criticisms of calling a David a politician here. You know, politicians, we've learned, they make decisions based on what's best for themselves and for their own political career. You know, and David wasn't like that at all. So instead of being a politician here, David was showing an amazing humbleness in coming to these people and asking them to restore their king. You know, you usually see a guy step up and demand that he's the king. I mean, Absalom didn't ask anybody, is it okay if I do this? <laughs> he just said, I'm going to do this, and you all are going to follow. And that's more like a, an honorary king there. But David comes to these folks, and he's not demanding anything. 
You get one of these, these tyrant guys in there, and they will tell you you're going to follow them, and they don't mind pulling a sword on you either to prove that you will follow me. But David comes very humbly, and he was asking, not telling. So we see an interesting picture of Jesus here. Jesus doesn't force people to follow him either. You know, Jesus commands people to follow him when he says things like, come and follow me, or come unto me, all you who labor. Those are commands. But he doesn't force them to obey these commands by twisting their arm or anything like that. The Lord doesn't want robots following him. He wants people who choose to be loyal, you know, as they received him. Uh, you know, the Lord tells us here in, in John chapter 1, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. So if you remember, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus invited him to follow him too. But what did the guy do? The rich young ruler, he walked away. Jesus didn't grab him and force him to submit, you know, get him on the head and got on the ground with a headlock or something. No. He let the guy go. The guy kept walking and Jesus let him go. So we should understand why the Lord wants us this way too. You know, why he wants people who really choose to follow him. I mean, do we really want to, to force someone and twist their arm to marry us? <laughs> Wouldn't you really rather be married to somebody who really desires to be loyal and who wants to love you on their own? Yeah, well, the Lord's the same way. He wants our affection freely, not forced, right? So verse 14, as it goes on, so here's David. He swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, just as the heart of one man. So they sent this word to the king, return, you and all your servants. So it worked. David sent the priests there. The goal was to make peace and allow David to come back in and be the king that God called him to be so he can protect God's people and do everything he's done up to this point. And again, he, he basically requests, are you guys going to help me do this? So they're all for it. This is a great response, they said, in return, you and all your servants. But don't you think it's interesting how the Lord said he did that? He swayed the hearts of all the men. And the Lord sways our hearts to receive him too. He doesn't force us. He sways our hearts. And boy, are we grateful after our eyes are opened and we see the truth. You know, we were headed for that cliff of eternity. We were just about to fall over and then have to face God's wrath forever and ever and ever. But the Lord rescued us, both for now and for all eternity. So after these folks were swayed, they accepted David. And I'm sure they were thankful on the other side of that too, because David cares about these people. Verse 15, then the king returned and he came to Jordan Notice it refers to David as the king, because that's who he is. It says, the king returned, and he came to Jordan, and Judah came to Gilgal to go to meet the king, to escort the king across the Jordan. So the tribe of Judah, they accepted him back as their king, and they were escorting him back to Jerusalem. That was going to be their desire. We will march with you, David. We will go into Jerusalem and declare you once again to be our king. So this is an amazing thing that's taken place. Uh, verse 16, it says, um, I mean, verse 16, yeah, verse 16 here, Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite, who was from Bahurim, hurried and came down with the men of Judah to meet David. Now we saw this guy before. 
This is the man that continually cursed David, it said, when he had to flee from Jerusalem, when Absalom was coming in. So remember, this guy's the one who threw stones at David and his men. Well, now he shows up, he comes quickly here to David. He's essentially going to beg for his life. He's trying to get David's attention here by showing up so fast. He wants David to see that he's repentant, okay? And he wanted to do this quickly before David had time to get settled and then some, send somebody after him to take his life for his treacherous behavior earlier. So a very interesting guy that shows up. I remember we saw this before when all these people were showing up when David was leaving Jerusalem. And he told us a lot about their character and how they were dealing with, with David here. So it goes on in verse 17. There were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, mentions this other guy. We'll see him come up again here and his 15 sons and his 20 servants with him, and they went over the Jordan before the king. Then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. So Benjamin is mentioned here, it's a tribe that Saul came from. And the Lord points this out for a reason, I think. This would be a real encouragement to David when this large of a number of tribe of Benjamites came to support him as he's going back in as king. You know, David's had some contention with the house of Saul, not on David's side, but on the, house of, the side of the house of Saul. So now, with these guys supporting him, he would let David know, you're walking the way God wants you to, to here. you're in line with what, what God has desired. Even your enemies now are at peace with you. That's a very good sign. And it mentions this Ziba here in his household and all of his servants. They're mentioning they go before the king because they were helping this group of David's people to cross over the Jordan River. That's why they're mentioned like this. Now, the middle of verse 18, it says, Now Shimei, the son of Gera, that's a guy who was, who was cursing David and everything, he fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. So he waits, waits till he gets all the way over, and then he humbles himself on the ground before David. And then he said to the king, do not let my Lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my Lord the king left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. So these are very humble words that he's speaking, and he appears to be very submissive to David here. <laughs> it's kind of funny. One guy said, it's like, oh, you didn't take me serious, did you, when I was doing all that? <laughs> yeah, right, cursing continually, throwing stones and all that, you know. No, why would you take that serious? So the guy realizes he's in serious trouble. So he's up, up to trying to get some, some repentance going here. So verse 20, he says, For I, your servant, of course I'm your servant, know that I have sinned. So he admits what he did was sinful. Okay, Therefore, here I am, the first to come today of all the household of Joseph to go down to meet my Lord the king. <laughs> so again, humble words. It's interesting here that he admits his sin and he doesn't make any excuses for his bad behavior, which is another good thing. If you remember King Saul, he had all kinds of excuses why he disobeyed the Lord and didn't obey him completely. But this guy, he just says, I sinned. No reason, no excuse as to why. So these are normally signs of real repentance, okay? And what he's asking of David is going to be a full pardon here uh, because he knows without that his life is in jeopardy. He came against the anointed of the Lord. 
So he does admit that he was wrong, but some people argue that he only apologized here because he got caught. <laughs> and they have reasons for that. We'll look at it in a second. Earlier, when David was on the run, this guy thought he was going to get away with everything. And that's why he said and did all the stuff that he did to David, you know. He never expected to David to ever come back and reign again. So some people say that he knew that he had sinned, but he just didn't want to pay for the consequences of his sin. That sounds like us too, huh? I mean, who wants to pay for the consequences of your sin? So it's possible. And they make a good point, and here's, here's what they come up with. They say that if he was really and truly repentant, he could have showed up while David was still on the run, and he could have tried to make peace then. Why now? Pretty good question. Well, we know the Lord has the final say over this guy because the Lord is the one who sees into the heart of man and he alone can make the perfect judgment on our lives. But we also know this, that later on, when David was dying, he gave orders to his son Solomon to watch out for this guy. <laughs> so that tells us David didn't fully trust this guy. And if you want to see this, it's in 1 Kings chapter 2. If you want to turn forward a few pages there, 1 Kings chapter 2, there's just a couple of verses on it, but I think it says quite a bit here. This is David giving directions to Solomon, who's going to be the king following him. In 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And see, you have with you Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite from Bahurim. So he, he names this as the guy. He said, who cursed me with a malicious curse in the day when I went to Mahanam. That's when he was fleeing from Jerusalem. But he came down to meet me at the Jordan. So he's talking about this very event here. He came down to me at the Jordan, and I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with a sword. So what does he tell Solomon to do? Verse 9. Now, therefore, do not hold him guiltless, <laughs> for you are a wise man and know what you ought to do to him. But bring his gray hair down to the grave with blood. <laughs> I think that David's saying, I don't think that was too sincere when that guy came and apologized. That's just the way I take it, but maybe you see that different. That's kind of interesting. So back in our passage in 2 Samuel 19, it says in verse 21, But Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, answered and said, Now this is one of David's kind of commanders, his generals he had in charge of the troops there, brother of Joab. He says, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And my goodness, you don't want this guy coming after you as a prosecuting attorney because how do you argue with that statement, right? I mean, hey, David, I know that you're really big on you don't touch God's anointed, you know? You wouldn't let us kill King Saul when we had him right there. So here's this guy, and he's coming out cursing the Lord's anointed. So what's the penalty for that? I'll take care of that for you, David. He's the guy who wanted to take his head off earlier, right, when he saw him throwing stones and everything. So David said to him, verse 22, What have I to do with you, you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today? David's like, I am not out killing people. I'm trying to save people's lives here. Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For I do not, or for I, for do I not know that today I am king over Israel? 
He's saying, don't you get this? I've just been restored. Why do we want to kill people on this day? Therefore, in verse 23, the king said to Shimei, directly to him, you shall not die. And the king swore to him. And as we saw in, in 1 Kings there, that David said, he swore to the Lord, I will not put you to death by the sword. So here David shows a great amount of grace to this guy. Here's a guy who wanted him dead earlier, and now David is going to forgive him. That's amazing. So we see another picture of Jesus here. When they crucified Jesus, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's unbelievable grace, you know, that Jesus extended. And we're going to thank him for all eternity for that grace. And like we saw a minute ago, David forgave this guy here, but he still didn't trust him down the road. And that's kind of a good concept for us to understand, too. We can forgive someone, but that doesn't mean that we think they're the most wonderful person in the world. It just means that we're not holding their debt of sin or injury against them. This guy is still the guy, you know, he didn't change. And I mean, when, when Jesus forgave us, you think about this from the Lord's perspective, we didn't become these amazingly wonderful people who never sinned again, right? No, we're still sinners, we still have flaws. It just means that God pardoned us from all of our crimes. He's still working on our lives to get us further and further away from sinning the longer we walk with him. So verse 24, let's go on. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king. And it's interesting as the Lord keeps showing us these people coming to meet David, you know, whether he's running out of the city or whether he's coming back to be king. <laughs> there are folks who keep showing up and we see stuff about their life, but it also shows us about the character of David. So Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, he's from the family line of Saul, Jonathan's son, he came down to meet the king. He had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day the king departed until the day he returned in peace. So Mephibosheth here, remember the son of Jonathan, he's the guy that got injured when he was very young, ended up being crippled and lame for the rest of his life. And David blessed him when David became the king, you know, and gave him all of Saul's family property, and he gave him Ziba as a servant to help him. Well, his servant Ziba was the one who came to David with many, many supplies and helped David and his people out when he was on the run from Absalom. And what we see now is that, that Ziba had betrayed his master Mephibosheth. That's what we're going to hear here. So Mephibosheth here, he shows David that he was openly mourning David ever since he left Jerusalem when he was fleeing from Absalom. Uh, the interesting thing about the story is that Absalom, would have, if he'd have found him in this state, realizing, why are you not taking care of yourself? Why are you doing all this stuff? And it would be because of David is not king. He could have been killed for that. He'd been executed probably by Absalom. So he did put his life on the line by doing this. So this makes the story more believable when we see what happened here. But notice, you know, as it said this, um, I'm thinking the guy had a pretty good odor going by now <laughs> from not washing his clothes and everything. So it was in verse 25, when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? And could you stand back a few feet? No, he didn't say that part, but he did ask the question of, why didn't you go with me? And he answered, my Lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant, that's not Mazaiba, he said, I will saddle a donkey for myself. So it sounds like, if the story is very accurate, that Mephibosheth was saying, would you go saddle a donkey for me so I can go see the king and give him all these supplies? 
And I guess Ziba, I don't think he's that great of a guy, he realized, this guy's crippled. He's not going to catch me anyway. I'm going to take this animal, and I'm going to go and get all the, the credit for this. And besides that, he's going to turn him in. So it says here in verse 26, For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself, that I may ride on it and go to the king, because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. This is what he's saying. Ziba came to you, and he slandered me. But he said, my lord, the king is like the angel of God. So I said, therefore, do what is good in your eyes. For all my father's house were but dead men before my lord, the king. Yet you set your servant among those who eat at your own table. If you remember, David did that for him uh, when David became king. Uh, he was off hiding, thinking, I'm one of Saul's family. The king's probably going to send somebody to knock me off. And instead, David brings him back. And he says, I'm going to have you eat at my table for the rest of your day. So He's saying, I was as good as dead, and you already blessed me tremendously by having me come sit at your table. Table. So at the end of verse 28, he says, Therefore, what, have, what right have I to cry out any more to the king? Now that's a mouthful of what he just said. What right have I still to cry out any more to the king? So he outright says that Ziba betrayed him. He humbly accepts whatever David decides, and I think he knows David well enough to know David's going to seek the Lord on this and I trust the Lord and I trust David so whatever he decides I'm okay with that uh, verse 20 and he says I don't have a right to ask anything else verse 29 so the king said to him why do you speak any more of your matters I have said you and Ziba divide the land so David is going to make a decision here and it's kind of a done deal David's like we don't need to talk about this anymore I've already made a decision you both are going to divide the land. So it doesn't appear that, that it, it looks like he's 100% sure who's truthful here, but by dividing the land between the, the two guys, it sounds like David was giving some credence to what Mephibosheth had just told him. And by him making this decision, boy, you talk about wisdom. You know, Solomon, I think he saw some of this in his dad and thought, I, want, I need wisdom like that. So here's, here's David. He honors Mephibosheth by giving him land and making provision for him. But at the same time, he doesn't break his word to Ziba because he had given the land to him earlier. And think about this. That's really amazing character on David's part because that decision when he gave the land to Ziba, uh, when he did that earlier, that was made under deceptive circumstances by Ziba. Now that's amazing when you have a situation like that. But David's like, I'll honor my word even though you deceive me on that one. I'll still honor that and give you part of the land. You know, the Lord, he just keeps giving us more and more grace, too, because David just pouring out grace to people here. And that's amazing grace to see that. Our Lord, he's extremely gracious to continue to bless us with his grace. So if you ever think you've run out of things to thank the Lord for, you can always thank him for more and more grace because there's a bunch that's been given and the Lord's got a bunch more for us. And we're so amazed and thankful of that. So David, he made his decision here to try to be fair with both parties. But ultimately, he's going to leave it up to the Lord to deal with them, you know. And that's a good example for us to follow too. Be as fair as possible with people and leave the rest to the Lord. Because he can't see their heart. Both of their stories seem to make sense. So it's like, I really don't know which way to go. But the Lord does. So I'll, I'll bless both you guys here and the Lord will take care of the rest. He didn't have to sweat that one. Uh, verse 30, it says, Then Mephibosheth said to the king, Rather let him take it all, inasmuch as my lord the king 
has come back in peace to his own house. This is amazing. He doesn't care about the land or anything that he might get. He's just thankful that David has been returned as king. It's a beautiful heart of Mephibosheth we see here. He's not concerned about his entitlements, if you notice. He said, what right do I have to keep speaking to the king? You've blessed me way beyond anything I thought I'd see in my life. So he's only concerned about the king reigning. And that's an excellent example for us. We should not be as concerned as much about what we deserve in life, you know, as we are concerned about our king, the Lord Jesus, ruling and reigning. And that's why our prayer is to be, thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 31, Barzillai, the Gideite, came down from Rogalim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now this Barzillai, he was one of the men who brought supplies to David as well toward the end of his run from Absalom to help David and his people out. Remember when it said they were so tired and they were so weary uh, being on the run there. So he really blessed David when David had a great need. And he shows up again. Now verse 32 says, Now Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanim. And here's the reason, for he was a very rich man. So the Lord lets us know that this man was up in his years, and he was also very wealthy. He's using that wealth to bless the Lord's people here. Verse 33 the king said to Barzillai, come across with me, and I will provide for you while you are with me in Jerusalem. Now David here, he's making an offer to take care of this man and his family and bring them under the king's household. That would mean that this guy would have everything taken care of him for the rest of his life. No more worries ever. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> well, here's some good news. That's what the Lord has offered us too. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things are gonna, that you need are going to be taken care of. And that's my paraphrase on that. But the Lord tells us we don't have to worry. We just have to trust him. And he will take care of us, not only in this life, but for all of eternity. So when you see this guy, Barzillai, here, just think of all that the Lord has offered to you and me. Verse 34 goes on, but Barzillai said to the king, after David made that amazing offer to him, how long have I to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? He's saying my mind is slipping. Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? He's saying my taste buds are gone. Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? So I can't even be entertained by good music because I don't hear that well. Why then should your servant be a further burden to my Lord, the king? Wow. He's saying, you know, that his age has taken its toll on him. And some of us are getting to that point, I think, where we can relate to that, huh? And he doesn't want to be a burden to David at all. You know, I love this. In this world, you'll find that there are givers and there are takers. Or as some people like to call them, there are givers and there are gimmies. And this guy is definitely a giver. And the world could sure use some more people like that. You know, but as Christians, we should all be givers and not gimmies. 
Verse 36, your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. He said, I really, I really wanted to escort you over there. It would be an honor, an honor for me to do that. And he said, why should the king repay me with such a reward? He was saying he didn't help David to get a reward. That's not his goal. It's not why he did it. He did it because it was the right thing to do. You know, Lord, please build that in our care to do things because it's the very right thing to do. That's what we need. Verse 37, please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. So he's saying, I really just want to return home. And notice how he said that. He said, please. So this is so very cool to see. He's very respectful to David. And he said, please. He politely asked David's permission to do this. And this guy is a wealthy and powerful man. Yet toward David, he's very humble and very respectful. You know, this is something we should, it should just thrill us to see this. When a wealthy, powerful man will humble himself before the Lord. Because there's a great temptation when a person gets wealthy for that person to think he's really something. <laughs> you know, and some people in that place, they get a God complex where they think they're in charge of all things. <laughs> you know, But it should melt our heart when we see a powerful guy like this just completely humble himself before the Lord. Because they all will someday. They're going to be humble. And it's better if they do it now on their own rather than when they're forced to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns to judge this wicked world that we live in. So go on in verse 37 again, the middle of the verse. This guy's still talking, this Barzillai. says, but here is your servant, Chimham. Let him cross over with my Lord, the king, and do for him what seems, to, uh, seems good to you. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me. And I, do, I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. So this Chimham apparently was Barzillai's son. So David declares that he's going to pass this blessing that he intended for Barzillai onto his son. And at the end here, when David says, whatever you request of me, I'll do it for you. He's offering to meet any need that Barzillai might have. Because David, you know, he felt like he was greatly in debt to this man who showed him such favor and helped his people when they were in great need. So David here is expressing his love for this man by promising to take care of his son in his place. You know, it's interesting. We had the Son of God die in our place. And yet the Lord has promised to take care of all of our needs for all of eternity. And that's all out of God's love for us too. That's the only reason he's doing that because he loves us so much. Verse 39. Then all the people went over the Jordan. And when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him, and he returned to his own place. What an honorable man this Barzillai was. David had great respect for him. Verse 40, now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham went on with him, and all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half the people of Israel. And you notice in there it says all, and then it says half. <laughs> so this verse shows us that David, he did have a lot of support from Judah, his own tribe, but only half the support from the rest of Israel. So some people were openly, you know, going with him and being the king, but some were just not too thrilled about it. They just had to tolerate it. So to think about, you know, after all David did for this nation of Israel, and this is how they treat him, you know, he had brought them such prosperity and the greatest thing he did was to bring them under God's blessing. Wow, that's amazing. So as a man who openly followed the Lord, he was a great example of a godly leader. And yet some were not very supportive at all. 
How sad, you know, but that just shows the darkness in man's heart. <laughs> Man is seldom grateful for all the Lord does for him every single day of his life. Verse 41, Judah, just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, why have I brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household and all David's men with him across the Jordan? So these are the folks who were still on the other side of the Jordan. They weren't with David. And now they all show up and they're, they're upset about stuff. Uh, so this is basically the other 10 tribes. Uh, and they're very upset they weren't involved in the plans to bring David back as king to Jerusalem. So they're going to make accusations here. They're accusing the tribes of Judah and Benjamin of keeping David for themselves and keeping David away from them. Their main gripe here was with the tribe of Judah. But Benjamin, much smaller tribe, they were represented here too. And this main division between the ten tribes and these two tribes is going to be a growing conflict in the years to come. Very sad. So verse 42, so all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, because the king is a close relative of ours. So that's what they're saying. He's from our tribe, guys. Why then are you angry over this matter? And they bring up some good points here. Have we ever eaten at the king's expense or has he given us any gifts? So they're saying we never demanded any special treatment from him. Why are you so upset? So they're saying he's a blood relative. You know, he's from my tribe. That's why we're with him now. And they admit David's never shown him any special political favors in the past. And they're not trying to pull a fast one here now. Again, the Lord shows us this stuff that we can see something about David. This tells us here that David has, has been fair to everyone when he was reigning. He didn't show favoritism or extended political favors to even his closest relatives while he was reigning. And that's an admirable trait, you know, because having such power and authority, that would be another real temptation to have to say, I'm bringing all my family in and bless them for nothing, you know. He didn't do that. So verse 43, the men of Israel answered the men of Judah. So you got this, this conflict still going on. And they said, we have 10 shares in the king. There's 10 of our tribes. Therefore, we also have more right to David than you. <laughs> so they're fighting over him. Why then do you despise us? Were we not the first to advise bringing back our king? Wasn't that our idea? Yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. <laughs> so they were saying, that the 10 tribes here, that they got more right to, to support him than Judah did. And the truth is, they didn't betray David, you know, as badly as his own tribe. But this issue between these groups is not going to be resolved here. These guys are going to stay at odds with each other, which is really sad in the family to see that. And did you notice how fickle these people are? One week earlier, they're trying to kill David. And now they're fighting over who's going to escort him back as king. And that's why it says in John chapter 2, and I like the way the, the New Living Translation says this. this is, it says, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell him what mankind is really like. <laughs> and it's sad, but that's in us. We, we have this, this crazy stuff going on because of sin. And we would be so goofy as to try to want somebody to be harmed one week and the next week fight over taking care of them. Who's going to take care of them? Yeah. So David, you think about from his perspective, he's seeing all this stuff. And I wonder if the thought's going through his mind. Do you really want to be ruling over these people again? <laughs> I mean, you've got some goofy folks here. But David was very patient with all these people. He was faithful for God's call in his life to be the king. He knew this is where I'm supposed to be. That's my choice. That's what God's choice is. So this is what I'm going to do. 
Now, we're all supposed to serve the Lord. We're supposed to be faithful to what God has called each one of us to do. When he saved us, he already had a specific purpose for each of our lives. We're to submit to that purpose and call. We're to follow him wherever he leads each one of us to go. And you don't do it for the people, you do it for the Lord. And David is an example that God's call does not change. You know, even when David had to leave Jerusalem for a while, the Lord still brought him back as king. That was God's call that was going to happen, and no one was going to stop it. And we can be so very thankful, you know, that the Lord patiently puts up with us too. The amazing thing is that the Lord is going to love us forever. And when we look forward to being with him, you know, one of the thoughts that I know I have, and I think you do too, I can't wait till this flesh is gone, you know, this selfish problem that's here because we, we still need our full salvation to be with the Lord. Our flesh is still fighting us here. But you know what? I think the Lord can't wait either till our flesh is gone when we see stories like this because David's going to put up with these people, but so is the Lord. And uh, we thank him that he puts up with us too. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you're so good to us. And we have to acknowledge we don't deserve a single drop of your grace, Lord. Thank you so much for blessing us each and every day. Lord, you allow us the strength even to be here, to come together as your children, to sit under your word, to lift our voice and praise together. And it's such a privilege, such an honor. Lord, we look forward to eternity where we get to be with you all the time and be in your presence and this ugly flesh is gone. Lord, thank you for your great patience with us. Thank you for teaching us all you have through David as we, we see what's happened to him and how he's responded. Help us to take these lessons to heart. As David was faithful to you, Lord, let us be faithful. As you have called him to his position, you've called each one of us to serve you with the gifting that you've given us. Help us to surrender to that. Help us to stay submissive before you. And thank you for your great love. Lord, we give you back all the praise, all the honor, all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.